Would you join me in your Bibles this morning in Philippians chapter 4? Philippians chapter 4. What I'm about to say, I'm saying with a smile on my face, I warned you last week that I would be preaching on giving and money today. So no mad dashes for the door, all right? Jesus spoke quite a bit about giving. The Bible speaks a significant amount about giving. I would like to preach a message this morning entitled, The Gain of Giving. The Gain of Giving. To our world, that is a contradiction. You don't gain by giving. But I'm glad we live by God's economy that you do gain by giving. And I believe it's one of the initial indicators, and we're going to see this in our text this morning. It's one of the initial indicators of a heart that belongs to Jesus Christ. That is an individual who will be a giver. Notice, if you would, Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 10. Now, let me remind you, when Paul writes this, somebody just say out loud, where is he when he writes Philippians? He's in prison, right? It's his first Roman imprisonment. It's about 10 years after he had started the church at Philippi. And now from prison, he writes back to them. And Philippians is really something of a missionary thank you letter for their support, their financial support of the Apostle Paul. Notice Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now, several times already, Paul has talked about rejoicing in the Lord. This is the first time he said that the subject he's addressing caused him to rejoice greatly. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. It's blossomed into new life like springtime in the cycle of sowing and reaping spring and then fall and winter. Wherein you were also careful, they were mindful of him, they were careful or mindful of Paul's needs, but they lacked opportunity there's speculation about what that would have been. I don't believe it has anything to do with a lax in or a lapse in the Philippians' desire to give to the Apostle Paul because of other things that Paul says which indicate otherwise. Remember that Paul was traveling all over the place. He was uh, in some places for short amounts of time, some places for large amount of times, and they didn't have next day delivery in the first century. And so the indication is, is their lacking opportunity was that there were times when nobody had any idea where Paul was, how to get support to him. So they would finally find out after, in some cases, a couple of years may have lapsed, and then they know, okay, he's going to be there a while, we can get this support to him. So they were mindful of him, even though there were times where their giving lapsed, but it wasn't a fault on their part, they just lacked the opportunity to do so. Verse number 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith, or whatever condition I am therewith, to be content. Uh, the word content is the idea to ward off dissatisfaction, to beat it off. I've learned to beat off dissatisfaction. I know both how to be abased, that is, humble, or live with little means, and I know how to abound, live with a lot. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed. Uh, it's the idea of learning the secret. I've learned... The secret both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Let me just say for the record here, uh, when a guy paints Philippians 4.13 on his face paint and he says, I can score that touchdown through the Lord. 
That's not what Paul was talking about. Okay, Paul is talking about learning how to handle uh, times where he has much and times where he has little, times when he's full, times when he's hungry. He said, I can be hungry through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Boy, that's, a, that's an economic view that we need to pay attention to, isn't it? Our day. Verse number 14. Notwithstanding, you have well done. A number of the commentators I read in preparation for this morning said of verse number 14, when Paul said, notwithstanding, you have well done, he's, they said modern vernacular, he would look at them or write to them and say, you did good. You did good. What did they do good at? That you did communicate. It's the idea of the word fellowship. They entered into the experience with his affliction, his trouble. Through their giving, they entered into fellowship with or partnership with even his difficult times. Verse number 15. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, he's referring to 10 years before when he first came and preached the gospel to them. They trusted Christ as Savior. And then when he left Philippi to depart to Berea and Thessalonica and then on down to Athens and then Corinth. Okay. He says this, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound and I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to the Lord. Notice verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need. How many? All your need. According to his riches and glory. Not according to your need, but according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so Paul brings up the issue of giving and in particular financial support that has been sent to him by the members of the church at Philippi. And 10 years later, he's still looking back, giving testimony to the faithfulness of their support and what it means to him personally. And so with that being said and having forewarned you last week, I'm going to preach on money this morning. I'm going to preach on giving. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to be like the story I read about this week about a strong man in a circus years ago. You've heard stories or seen things like this before. A strong man in a circus, one of the ways he would show off his strength, he'd get the crowd at the circus in front of him and he'd take an orange and he would, with his great physical strength, he would squeeze that orange until there was no juice left in it. And then he would call up some other so-called strong man from the audience and he would challenge them there in front of everybody to see if they could squeeze another drop of juice, just one more drop of juice out of that orange. Well, one day he had done that and time and time again he had done it. Nobody had ever been able to squeeze any more juice out of that orange to match his strength. But one day as he had just finished squeezing the last little bit of juice out of that orange, he asked, is there anybody who thinks you can come squeeze any more out of it? And this real scrawny guy raised his hand. And the strong man looked down at him and kind of smirked like Goliath would have smirked at David and said, come on up here if you think you can. And he says, I don't get it. He goes, you're a skinny little guy. What makes you? He said, just give me that orange. So the strong man handed that pulp to that skinny little guy and that skinny little guy took that orange and he squeezed it and sure enough to everybody's sheer amazement one more drop of juice fell to the ground the strong man 
stood aghast, and then he said, I don't understand it. He said, a skinny guy like you able to get juice out of an orange that I couldn't even get anymore. He says, who are you? He said, I'm the church treasurer at the church down the street. (laughs) That is not my purpose this morning. I am not that guy to try and squeeze one more. I praise God. Uh, for his goodness to us financially at Crossroads. Uh, When we talk about giving in particular in this passage of Scripture, giving to uh, support missionaries, just like the church at Philippi was an example of giving to support missionary Paul, I want you to understand that we're not talking about the tithe. Uh, Tithe, the 10%, that is an issue of not giving but obedience. Okay, That's a command given in Scripture. We're talking about giving above and beyond the tithe. I read about a preacher this week who was teaching his children the importance of tithing and giving. And he gave his son, his young son, a $1 allowance. And then he told the boy, he said, son, he said, now 10% of that belongs to God. A dime of that goes in the offering plate on Sunday. And the little boy who already knew the price of candy that he liked said, dad, I can't get anything with 90 cents. He said, and you're asking me to give 10 cents of a dollar? He said, son, where did that money come from? He said, well, dad, it came from you. He said, but was it original with me? No. Where did I get it? He said, well, you got a salary from the church. He said, and and, uh, how did I get the salary from the church? He said, well, you preach and you visit and you work there at the church. And he said, and then where did the people who give, where did they get the money? The people that give their tithes to church, where did they? He said, well, daddy, they worked for it. And how did they work for it? And he started asking his son some of the, some of the vocations of the men in the church. And what, well, they, they pour concrete and they build houses and they wire houses and some of them work at the bank. And, some, and, and how do they do what they do? Well, God gives them the strength. And the resources that they have are things that God has first made. And so they got the money that they gave to the church. They got it first by working, but they got the strength to work and the resources to work from the Lord. So ultimately, son, where does all of this come from, Daddy? It comes from God. It comes from what hast thou that thou didst not receive, the Apostle Paul asked in 1 Corinthians 4. And the preacher gave testimony. He said by the time it was done, his son gave 15 cents, not 10. 10% 10% tithe and a 5% offering on top of that. And really, that should be the heart of the child of God. Let's go above and beyond. That's the test of a heart. I think about Luke chapter 6 and verse number 38. Jesus said, Give and it shall be given to you. Pressed down and shaken together and flowing over, overflowing. Shall men give into your bosom? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, Paul said, Those which sow sparingly, reap sparingly, and those which give bountifully, reap also what? Bountifully. The law of sowing and reaping. He did go on to say God loves a cheerful giver and wants us to give willingly. Okay, And that's why I'm not the skinny little guy squeezing the last drop out of the orange this morning. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 35. Remember the words. Paul said this to the church at Ephesus. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that it is more blessed to give than to receive. I heard about a preacher that was knocking on doors one day and he came to a man. The man said, well, I'm an atheist. He said, I don't believe anything you got to say. And he goes, plus that book you hold there is not true. He said, what do you mean it's not true? He says, well, that verse in the Bible about it being more blessed to give than to receive. He goes, that's, he said, everybody knows that's not true. 
How can that be true, that it's more blessed to give than to receive? And the preacher simply looked at the man and responded in this way. He said, well, if you're the one doing the giving to somebody else, it means they're the one with the need and you have to give. He said, that's blessing, isn't it? Okay. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 19 to 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you want to know a person's heart, follow the money. And that's Jesus that said that. Follow the money. Paul even admonished Timothy, young pastor Timothy, to warn those that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded and trust in uncertain riches, but that they do good, and that they be characterized by giving. Because they're laying up for their future stand before the Lord. A foundation against the time to come. So as we think about a biblical perspective of giving, we think about the fact that the book of Philippians is a thank you letter written by a missionary, Paul, in jail to a church that had faithfully supported him. And by the way, not a rich church either. The church at Philippi was a part of a region in the Roman Empire called Macedonia that was in that day considered middle to middle low or lower middle class. They were not a wealthy church. Paul would even testify to that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 that those churches of Macedonia compared to the church at Corinth, the churches of Macedonia were poor churches. And yet this church becomes the model of the faithful regular support of a missionary, the Apostle Paul. And so my thought for us this morning is this, the importance of our recognizing the benefits, recognizing the gain of giving to missions as a church. We're not talking about tithe. We're not talking about the support. We're not talking about the pastor's salary. We're talking about our monthly support, our consistent faithful support of missionaries. And here's what God has done. He is attached to our giving to missions. He has attached some tremendous benefits and gains. The gain of giving. And it becomes a great motivator. The first is this. I want you to notice that giving to missions gives the gain of encouraging the missionary. The benefit of encouraging the missionary. Notice verse number 10. Paul said, I rejoiced in the Lord... What? Greatly. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. It literally is the idea of bigly. You said, Pastor, you just made up a word. I actually found it. Bigly. It's the idea of loudly. Now, Paul is in jail when he got this support. Through the hand, as you'll see in chapter 2, through the hand of a man named Epaphroditus, who was a representative of the church at Philippi. And I've tried to imagine in my mind, put myself in the story. Here's Paul in prison that would last for several years in Rome, his first Roman imprisonment. He'll talk about people forsaking him. He'll hear heartaching stories of churches that have compromised, all of those different things, not to mention that he himself is under the hand in the imprisonment of the Roman Empire. And yet the day that this support shows up, The material provision, whatever form it came in, Paul said, when it showed up, I rejoiced in the Lord bigly. I rejoiced in the Lord loudly to the point where it got other people's attention. Remember, as a prisoner of the Lord, the Apostle Paul 
viewed his time even in imprisonment, whether it was in Caesarea Philippi, whether it was in Rome the first time, whether it was in Philippi itself, whether it was in Rome the second time, he didn't get all flustered. We could think to ourselves, what is the purpose of support going to a guy who's in jail? You know what I noticed about the Apostle Paul? He was as effective at winning people to Christ in jail as he was out of jail. (laughs) You remember when he was in Philippi? In jail? Singing and praising God at midnight? And before it's over with, the Philippian jailer and his whole house got saved? Jail time evangelism. He'll say about his first Roman imprisonment, he'll tell us in chapter number 1, verse number 13, that uh, his bonds were manifest in all the palace. The word that he uses is the praetorium. It talks about the, uh, the uh, Caesar's elite guard were guarding the apostle Paul. And the picture is this, his bonds are manifest. In other words, these guards of Caesar would watch over Paul to make sure he didn't escape, and Paul would just start witnessing to him. And he had won some of them to Christ so that at the end of the book of Philippians, he would say, oh, by the way, there are some saints and believers in Caesar's household who send you greeting. They say hello. Mark it down. Send the money to a man in prison. He's still going to use it to win people to Christ. Okay. It encouraged the missionary. And that's a benefit for us. As a church, even as we give, it's a benefit To know that, man, when our support lands in the account of a missionary who's in some third world country, some far-flung place, that when they see the consistent financial support of churches back here in the U.S., it encourages them. There are a hundred other things we could say about this, too. They shouldn't have to worry about finances. Think about all that they've set aside to go. There are people in third world countries who look at a missionary like he's crazy. Why would you leave America to come here? And yet, based on an eternal compulsion to get the good news of Jesus Christ to people in dark places in this world, there are people who have turned their back on the benefits that you and I enjoy, and they've gone to these difficult places to preach the gospel and win people to Christ. And it's not just a responsibility, it's a privilege of local churches here in the United States to make sure they don't have to worry about finances. So the benefit of encouraging missionaries. Secondly, I notice this. One of the gains of giving, even for us as a church back here in the U.S., is that it builds empathy with missionary life. Notice, if you would, verse number 14, notwithstanding, you've well done that you did communicate with my affliction. You fellowshiped. You entered into partnership with my troubles. Here's Paul in prison. Here's Paul in Lystra being stoned. Here's Paul, as you can read in 2 Corinthians 11, all the difficulties that he experienced for the cause of Christ... And here was the church at Philippi, a poor church in comparison to the church at Corinth and Ephesus. But Philippi becomes the model giver in how they communicated. Listen, I challenge folks, if you ever get a chance, go on a mission trip. Go to a foreign country. Go to a third world foreign country. It will give you an empathy with missionaries that you otherwise could not have. 
I've had the privilege of leading a number of mission trips. And uh, every, and I can say this to the glory of God, every missions trip that I've ever taken teenagers with me on, at least one person from that trip, one young person, is either in preparation now for the mission field or in the Lord's work. And those others that aren't necessarily going into full-time ministry, their perspective has been changed to see the work firsthand. But not everybody can do that. Let me tell you one of the ways that we can build empathy is to give, even if it involves sacrifice, to help support those who are making sacrifices in other parts of the world. Paul speaks here of an empathy. He said you communicated in your giving. And here's a poor church. As you look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you find that this was a poor church that gave sacrificially to help take care of saints in Jerusalem who were going through a famine. But we understand, too, they were also giving sacrificially to support the Apostle Paul on a regular basis. And this was not a church that was rolling in the dough. This was a poor church. And Paul said, even as they gave sacrificially, gave, even if I can say it this way, with some hurt, Paul, the way he looked at it is you're communicating, you're fellowshipping, you're entering into partnership with my own pain, with my own affliction. Do you notice, and I'd never noticed this before, and again, that's not saying that much, There are a lot of things I've never noticed before. But Paul will testify to the... Keep your hand here and look at 1 Corinthians. Pardon me, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And verse 8 and 9. So now the Apostle Paul's chart uh, writing his second letter to the church at Corinth. Now, if you remember his second missionary journey, he started in Philippi... Berea, Macedonia, or pardon me, Berea, Thessalonica, Athens, and then down to Corinth. Corinth was in the province of Achaia, which was a wealthy province. The people in the church at Corinth were rich in comparison to the people like the church of Philippi in the province of Macedonia. So notice what happens here. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 11 and verse number 8. I robbed other churches taking wages of them. Now, he's being a little facetious here. When he says he robbed other churches, the the picture is they gave willingly. But essentially what he's saying is, I took support from churches that really, in a sense, didn't have it to give. But they offered it willingly. And so I took it. I robbed other churches. This is a key word. Taking what? Wages. What are wages? Wages, that's a consistent Remuneration from an employer, okay, for work done. I took wages of them to do you service. Now remember, he's talking to Corinth, he's talking to a rich church to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, had need, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from where? Macedonia supplied. Do you see what Paul's saying there? And he, he said it in our text as well. Verse number 15 back in Philippians chapter 4. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from where? From Macedonia. And so now he's telling the church at Corinth, he said when it came to my financial needs, my support, he purposely didn't take any from the church at Corinth because there were false teachers there who were accusing Paul of being in it just for the money. And so Paul said, in order to avoid that, so that the gospel wouldn't be hindered, he said, I allowed the poorer churches of Macedonia to have part in my financial support. The thing that astounds me is Paul 
was supported by finances from poor churches in Macedonia in order to start a church in rich Corinth. Now just let, let that soak in a bit. Okay. And, and so the point is this. One of the gains of our giving to support missionaries as a church is that it not only encourages the missionary, but it builds empathy with missionaries' life and their experience. Some of the pain, some of the sacrifices, it allows us to empathize, to have a better understanding. But I want you to notice a third gain or benefit. Paul says in verse number 15, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, this is when their giving to support Paul began. Ten years before. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 15, in the beginning of the gospel. This is looking back to what is recorded in Acts chapter number 16. When the apostle Paul came with his missionary team on his second missionary journey and he began preaching the gospel. And you remember that one of his first converts was a business lady by the name of Lydia. And then he would uh, cast the demon out of the little demon possessed girl and she would become a believer. And then he would get thrown in jail after he and Silas were beaten. They would get thrown in jail. And then at midnight, they'd be singing and praising the Lord at midnight in the middle of their own trials. And God would send an earthquake and all the prisoners would stay. And the Philippian jailer, thinking that he was going to have to take his own life if any of the prisoners escaped, would come in and Paul would stop him from falling on his own sword. And then the man would say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And that Philippian jailer and his whole house would trust Christ as Savior. Lydia and her whole house would trust Christ as Savior. That demon-possessed girl would trust Christ as Savior. And we've said this before, and they would become the charter membership. You want to talk about a motley crew. The charter membership of the first church ever planted in what we call Europe today. But our giving, there is gain that comes to us when we give to support missions. Why? And missionaries, because it furthers the gospel. Someone said there are three types of givers. Flint, you knock it really hard and all that comes is sparks and chips. Sponge, you got to squeeze the last little drop out of it. Or the honeycomb, out of the overflow of the sweetness giving is done. Do you know what I imagine in my mind? Paul said from the beginning of the gospel, these people had begun to support Paul when he departed from Macedonia, from Philippi, and began to make his way south in modern day Greece through Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and all the way down to Corinth. They began supporting him immediately. You know how this happened? The idea, and Paul says this, he said, no church communicated with me as concerning what two words? Giving and receiving. You can see it there in verse number 15. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Here's what happened. The picture that Paul paints is these believers had received the gospel and they had seen the transforming work of the gospel in their lives. Think about that little demon-possessed girl living in the fog of that demonic possession and influence and then under the thumb of the masters who the only thing they cared about was making money off of her. Little girl in bondage, and we can look all around. You don't have to look too far to see people in bondage to drugs and alcohol and all kinds of other things that bring people into addiction. 
And they live in these clouds, if you were, hard, having a hard time sorting out reality from the hallucinant world that they're living in. And yet in this little girl's case, one day the Apostle Paul turned around, cast that demon out of her, and she became a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and a soul was set free. Think about a businesswoman by the name of Lydia, maybe thinking that life was materialism, life was things. Maybe she was a good woman, a moral woman, and yet inside a gnawing hunger, knowing that there was a lack. I don't care how secure my business may be. I don't care how good I may be, what my reputation may be, but there's still something missing. And then she meets the Apostle Paul on the banks of the river outside of town and hears Jesus Christ preached and she trusts Christ and all of a sudden that massive God-sized void is filled in her life. Think about a hard Roman soldier who retires in Philippi and becomes the jailer, a man who had stood on who knows how many battlefields conquering land for Caesar, slitting men's throats and seeing people die had calloused him. He was tough. And yet that night as he saw his own life flash before his eyes as he thought about all those prisoners escaping and was about to fall on his own sword, Paul restricted him from doing so. The man had heard Paul and Silas singing about Jesus and singing about salvation. And a man who was hard and grit was broken open and melted by the grace of God. And here's what happened. Paul says, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving. He said, these people realized with fresh, alive perspective that they had received eternal life through Jesus Christ. He saved my soul. He filled that God void, that God-sized void in me. He has transformed me. And here's what happened. Their perspective was this. We want everybody to know about this. Paul, you're leaving Philippi, going to Thessalonica, going to Berea. How are you going to live? And Paul said, well, the Lord will take care of that. You're going to pass on to Athens and Corinth, and we know they got a lot of money down in Corinth, but how are you going to get there? And all of a sudden, people said, you know what? After all the Lord's done for us, let's be givers. And all of a sudden, their gratitude for the salvation that they had became a motivation in their being givers, and they became a model church in giving to support the Apostle Paul. Giving, the gain of it is that it furthers the gospel. Here is a poor church financing a church plant in a rich city. I notice this as well, another gain of giving, is that it also cultivates the habit of sowing and reaping. Paul says in verse number 10, that their care of him hath flourished again. It's the idea of after the fall in the winter, the dormancy of the harvest time in the winter, their giving had flourished again. Their mindedness of Paul and his physical needs had flourished again. Springtime had burst forth. It's a picture of the cycle of giving and receiving. It's a picture of the cycle of sowing and reaping. And the Lord uses that, um, that agricultural picture of sowing and reaping as an illustration of giving. Sowing and reaping. Notice what else he says in verse number 16. For even in Thessalonica ye sent, what are the next three words? Once and again, unto my necessity. Now, you look at it on the surface and you think that means, well, one time and a second time. They only sent two offerings. That's not what this means. 
Paul would even testify in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where we looked a few moments ago, that their giving was compared to wages. Wages. And I, I dug in on this. You can check me out on this, okay? The, te- the, the word or the three words once and again is a technical idiom for this. Get it? Repeatedly. Repeatedly. Not just twice, but repeatedly. These people were consistent. Now, were there times where they would maybe lose track of Paul and how to get the finances to him? Yes. But as soon as they knew where he was, the support would come in again. So it cultivates the habit of sowing and reaping. I want you to notice a fifth gain of giving to missions. Not only that it encourages the missionary, it builds empathy with missionary life, it furthers the gospel, it cultivates in our habit, in our lives, the habit of sowing and reaping. And let me just say this on the side too. I think one of the most important lessons parents can begin to teach their children early is to be a giver, not a taker. Listen, we live in a world of entitlement and takers. And if everybody, God's people, should be marked as givers. Okay, givers. I notice a fifth gain of giving is that it credits the fruit of souls to our heavenly account. Notice what Paul says, verse number 16, For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again into my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire what? Fruit that may abound to your account. Paul's saying this, as you give financially to support, whether it's the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago, or as Crossroads Baptist Church gives to support all of those missionaries on the back wall. The missionaries that God has raised up out of our own church that we are the sending the home church for. We are the Antioch for some Apostle Pauls. Okay. One of the gains is that as we give to support financially, just brass tacks and nails, dollars and cents, there's this amazing exchange that takes place. The exchange is this, that our shekels, as we give cents and dollars, God exchanges them for souls. And the fruit of souls is attributed to a heavenly record-keeping system credited to the account of Crossroads Baptist Church. I think about testimonies that we get to consider on our Wednesday night holding the rope services when we read our prayer letters and put the picture of missionaries that we support up on the screen behind me and we read their prayer letters about David Edens and people in the desert, the the Sahara Desert of Niger hearing the gospel and trusting Christ as Savior as we read of other of our missionaries winning people to Christ. You understand that as our dollars have been given financially to help meet their needs, pay their wages, whatever field they are living in and serving in, God takes those dollars and he uses them to transform the eternal destinies of people. There's a wonderful exchange that takes place so that when we give, get this, when we give money to support missions, when we give that which corrodes God exchanges it for something that can't corrode. The eternal souls of other people all over the world. I want you to notice a sixth blessing. And I've got two more and I'm going to land the airplane, okay? As we consider the gain of giving, 
I want you to notice number six, another blessing of our being involved in giving to missions above and beyond our tithe to support these missionaries and others. Paul says it pleases God in heaven. Notice if you would, verse number 18, but I have all and abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Here's another exchange that takes place. They had sent monetary, some kind of material gift, and it had met Paul's needs at that time. But how did God view it? Notice what he says. What they sent was in heaven an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Folks, that's an amazing exchange. We marvel at the exchange of our giving dollars and cents, and God exchanges those dollars and cents for the eternal destiny of souls in heaven, and that gets credited to our account, fruit to our account in heaven, the account of Crossroads Baptist Church in the throne room of heaven. But another exchange takes place, and that is when we give our dollars and cents to support missionaries and to grow in our missions giving, There's another exchange that takes place and our dollars and cents turn into perfume that sweetens the aroma of heaven so that God smells it and he says, I like that. Do you know what amazes me about this? Is that God, theologically, God is complete in and of himself. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. The reason he made us is so that we can experience that the fact that God is love. And now he has called us to be reaching out to those who've separated themselves to their sin from God all over this world. Sinners in need of Christ. He's called us to give. He's called us to go. And what happens when we give is we give to support missionaries The Bible says what happens is that there's a sweet smell in the nose of God. And he who needs nothing is still brought pleasure. Why? Because those dollars and cents were being given to redeem souls that had been apart from him, now brought back to him. God is pleased in heaven. I want you to notice that seventh and a final benefit of giving that comes to a church, to an individual who gives. And that is this, verse number 19. But my God shall supply all your, what's the word? Need. Not wants. Your needs. My God shall supply, and how many of your need? All your need, according to his riches and glory. Not according to your need, but according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I want you to notice the seventh benefit or gain of giving to missions to support the Apostle Paul's of our life, of our ministry, of our day, is that it assures the supply of God for all my need. Whatever my need is, as I give, even if it's sacrifice, even if it hurts, even if it's finances that I had a legitimate use for, but God worked in my heart about sacrificially giving it so that I could bring encouragement to the missionary, so that I could empathize, build empathy with a missionary... I give it, and the Bible says this. Paul says to this church, he said, My God, because of your involvement in giving to support missions, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad that when God meets our need that there's still no depletion on the supply of heaven? 
I'm reminded of a simple illustration in the life of our oldest daughter, Emmeline. When she was about nine years old, the need of a missionary, a ministry need, came to her attention. I think we may have been taking an offering here at the church in the early days to meet that need. And Emmeline had been saving for a sewing machine. And this account is so vivid in my mind. She'd been saving for, if she's nine years old, you got to save a long time to buy a sewing machine. And she'd been saving, she'd been praying, she wanted a sewing machine. And then this need came up. I don't even remember what it was. This need of a missionary or ministry need came up. Boy, God began to work in her little heart. And I'll never forget watching her struggle with it. Here she's collected this little nest egg of money to buy a sewing machine. She wasn't quite there to have enough of it. And she came to me and she said, Daddy, what should I do? And I didn't dare want to put any pressure on her. And I remember I just looked at her and I said, Honey, you just pray about it. And you do what God tells you to do. I'll never forget the service when she put all that money that she had collected in an offering envelope and put it in the offering to help meet that need. And I kid you not, folks, in fulfillment of Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 19, within two weeks, a lady came to Emmeline and said, Listen, not only do I have one sewing machine I want to give to you, I have two. Let me tell you something. A little nine-year-old girl learned the secret you can't outgive God. And when you give, not only does your money get exchanged for eternal souls and fruit applied to an account, but it brings a sweet smell to the nose of God in heaven. It brings pleasure to Him, and He will not let that go unnoticed. You say, Pastor, are you trying to squeeze another drop out of the orange? No, this is between you and the Lord. But I'm just telling you, God's attached some promises to the lives of those who are givers. And one of them is the assurance that all your needs will be met. I close with this. Yes, I'm watching the clock. Let's not be like Lot's wife and look back, okay? This all was real time for this church years ago, before some of you were here, obviously. But a, in 2008, I had the privilege to go to Italy to, uh, before this church was even planted, to visit Frank and Ginny Maeda. Their pictures on that wall back there. We support them, have supported them for years. Frank and Ginny had gone to Italy in 2006 Begin preaching the gospel. He's, his parents are both from there. He'd, they'd migrated to the U.S. He'd grown up here, United States citizen, joined the Marine Corps, served for four, six years in the Marine Corps. He said he always gets funny looks on July 4th when he stands up and sings the national anthem in Italy. Okay. Patriotic, but he understood God's call in his life to go reach his own people back in Italy. <clears throat> Moved to the city of Grisetto, about two hours north of Rome began preaching the gospel. His mother had already been living there and had sowed all kinds of seeds. She was a burdened winner of souls, giving people the gospel. And so a lot of the preparation had already been done. Frank Maeda finished his training, finished his deputation, went to Italy. When he landed in Rome with his family, a couple little kids, he and Jenny, the only person that had a vehicle big enough to come from Rome or from Grisado down to Rome to get taken back to Grisado that... Frank's mom knew was an atheist. <laughs> he was the only one. And he was, sure, I'll go. 
By the way, can I just say something? It's, it should be something for us to sit up and pay attention to when some atheists are better Christians than some Christians are. I'm not saying that to convict anybody. I'm just saying, okay. His name's Giuliano. Giuliano, as an atheist, said, I'll go pick him up. I'll go pick that missionary up. <laughs> drove from Grisado down to Italy, or Rome, picked up Frank, Jenny, and the kids, and drove back to Grisado. For years, Frank witnessed to Giuliano. Giuliano, I'm an atheist. Had a job for the government. Atheist, he was hard in it. Frank kept praying. Frank's mama kept praying. And finally, somewhere around, I believe, 2011 or 12, Giuliano trusted Christ as Savior. Frank announced to his church over there, Biblical Baptist Church in Grisado, he announced to the church, he said, listen, we've got to go back on a furlough to report to the churches that support us, just like Crossroads Baptist Church, that, that uh, send us financial support so that we can stay here and be involved in the ministry full time. Giuliano, who's just been saved a year or two at this time, says, Frank, I want to go with you. He said, I'll pay my own way. I'll take my two weeks of vacation. I'll pay my own way. Frank's like, well, you can't speak English. He said, oh, you can translate for me. <laughs> and Frank's like, okay. Giuliano said, I want to go with you. And for the two weeks that I can be there, he said, I want to tell the churches in the United States that support you, thank you for sending the Mayans. It was in the old place. It was a Wednesday night. Second story, the conference center. That Frank got up with Giuliano and translated while Giuliano gave a 20-minute testimony. He had us all turn to Ezra chapter number 1 that tells the story of, of the Jews that when Cyrus gave the decree to go back to Jerusalem, a large number of Jews went back. 50,000 Jews went back to rebuild the temple. But there were some that couldn't go. And the Bible specifically points out in the book of Ezra, chapter number 1, that those who couldn't go financially supported to send those who could go. And I'll never forget sitting over there in the front row, my jaw dropping as I listened to a former atheist who had just been saved for a couple of years get up through a translator and take us all to Ezra chapter number one. I'm like, I know guys that have been preaching for 10 years don't have enough guts to preach out of Ezra. <laughs> he gets up and he has us go to Ezra chapter number one. And even though he's a baby Christian, he gave testimony. And he said this, he said, just like in the story of Ezra, there were Jews that financially supported those who did go back to Israel, to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. He said, I want to thank you for supporting missionaries like the Maedas to go to Italy where you can't yourself go, but he's willing to go and you send him and you pay his bills through your support so that he can come and preach Jesus to us. And he said, because of their ministry, I'm saved and on my way to heaven. I'm in tears as I'm sitting here listening to that. Some of you may faintly remember that. I'm sitting, on, I'm sitting over here in tears. And Frank is barely able to get through it himself. And when Giuliano closes his Bible, closed his Bible, he says, through the translation, okay, I'm finished. Frank looks at me and he said, Nathan, he said, I had a message all prepared to preach. But he said, I think the preaching's been done. And we sang a hymn and departed. 
And I'll never forget the impact of Giuliano's testimony. A man who in 2006, when Frank landed, was an atheist on his way to a Christless eternity. But because of the financial giving of God's people here in the United States, people who looked at Philippi, looked at Philippians chapter 4 and other passages of Scripture said, we're going to give. And look at what God did with it. The exchange of souls. Father, I know we're a little church. But I'm thankful for the song we're going to sing in just a moment, Little as Much, when God is in it. And I pray that you will stir in our hearts today about our missions giving, above and beyond our tithe, above and beyond our support of this church, about our missions giving. And Lord, that we would be uh, revived, flourishing again, if you would. Not just going through the motions, but giving with faith in this exchange of souls being credited to our account, fruit to our account because of the dollars and cents that we give and destinies, eternal destinies being changed. Lord, if there's one or more here this morning that do not have the assurance of their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they don't know for sure that their sins are forgiven, that they've trusted Christ as Savior and that they're on their way to heaven, I pray that they would understand that that can be their story today. That through placing their faith in Christ, they can be born again today. And Lord, if that describes one who's here today, I pray that the Spirit of God would be drawing in their hearts right now and they would understand their need, the forgiveness of sins, the need of eternal life through Jesus Christ, and they would call on the name of the Lord and be saved today. And I pray for us as believers that we would have a renewed and a revived motivation for our giving to missions. In Jesus' name. Amen.